Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the Big Nasty. Yeah, Big Nasty Hall of Fame Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, baby. This is Mike Allstott, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother. You ain't listening, and you're missing out. Woo! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Happy Victory Monday to you. And through three weeks of football, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 2-1. and one. And as of right now, they stand alone at the top of the NFC South. As we've seen from week to week, this Bucs team is definitely taking steps in the right direction. So today on the show, we're going to wrap up everything from Sunday's game in Denver, a 28-10 victory over the Broncos. We're going to talk about where this team can go from here, but welcome back to the show. I'm your host, as always, Rhett Matthew. Joined alongside me, as always, my good buddy and co-host, the Philly Bucks fan himself, Mr. Evan Wanish. Evan, happy victory Monday, my friend. Two in a row, man. Feels pretty damn good. Sort of feel like the like the the Will Ferrell gif that you see from old school, kinda when he you know he says <laughs> that, that we're going streaking, you know what I mean? So, Hell um, yeah, I'm surprised I haven't really seen that much today. But I guess a win streak I consider a win streak to be like three straight. So hopefully the Bucks can make it three straight uh, this Sunday. But yeah, definitely good to good to get a win uh, and a really dominating one if that. So absolutely love to see them get the ball rolling and where they can go from here. But ladies and gents, we are not alone today. Joining us on the show, a beat writer from Pewter Report. One of my favorite guys to have on the show, our good buddy, Mr. Taylor Jenkins. Taylor, how are you doing, man? Welcome back to the show. I'm great, man. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate the kind words. And as always, thank you guys for having me on. I love getting on and doing stuff like this. So let's get it rolling. Oh, it's it's such a pleasure, but really looking forward to this conversation. And it is always that much better of a conversation when the Buccaneers are coming off of a win. So let's take a look at what happened. First and foremost, on Sunday, the Buccaneers did not turn the ball over and they report uh, they recorded multiple takeaways on the defense. They have not done that since November of 2018. And that was a game against the San Francisco 49ers, which they also won by 18 points. So with that being said. This was a solid performance from the Bucs. First half, they came out. The offense was humming, putting points on the board, and the defense is looking far better than I think anybody expected them to be at this point. But Evan, before we really get down and break things down, what are your overall takeaways from the game on Sunday? Well, I mean, to me, this game never really felt in doubt. I mean, from the beginning, um, I mean, the Bucks forced Denver to punt and then blocked the punt. And then three plays later, they put the ball in the end zone. Uh, 
once that happened, it just it never really felt like Denver had a shot. Um, unlike the previous week, I sort of thought Carolina sort of had a chance to get back into that game and tie it up. But this time, when it was even when Denver scored that touchdown right before the half, I was like. I don't really think it matters. Just it, I don't think Denver had the offensive firepower. And, I mean, the biggest takeaway I had was, obviously everybody's going to talk about the defense, but, I mean, the amount of blitzing this defense did, it, it had to be over 50% of the plays on defense. Oh, it no it had to be. I mean, they blitzed the crap out of Jeff, Jeff Driscoll. And, you know, we knew that getting pressure on him was going to be important because, as we saw that when they were playing just the simple zone, he sort of picked them apart a little bit, as most quarterbacks will do. You know, if you're if you're able to just sit back and play coverage like that. But I mean, they just never gave him any time, and all those blitzes with Devin White, Levante, David, right up the middle, uh, just causing such madness in in the pocket for for Driscoll, and he just had nowhere to go. So I mean, yeah, this one never felt in doubt to me. It just a a dominating performance, and on, I'm not sure if I've seen the Buccaneers' defense be that dominating in, in quite a while. So I know that Denver was banged up, but still, it's it's still a very good performance. I'm still here. Sorry about that. <laughs> Taylor, <laughs> if, um, Taylor, what are your, some of the takeaways that you had from Sunday? Um, Yeah, I mean, you pretty much covered it. Um, Bruce Arians said after the game in his uh, press conference that this is a defensive football team. They've, that's how they built the team. And then getting Tom Brady was just the icing on the cake. And when you really look at how the team is laid out and where so much of this talent is, is on the defensive side of the ball. And now I know everybody wants to talk about the offensive weapons. And you've got the, the Mike Evans and the Chris Godwins and Scotty Miller and OJ and Gronk and, and Tom Brady and all of this. But the thorn that has been in the Bucks' side for years now has been that defense. And I think we knew coming into the season they were the number one ranked rush defense last year, and they were able to keep that entire unit, for the most part, minus a few role players. You look at guys like Bo Allen, and you look at guys like Vinnie Curry that departed. But all of their real impact players, you've got uh, Indomitian Sue, you've got Vita Vea, JPP, Shaq, Anthony Nelson is now in his second year. Levante David and Devin White are one of the most fierce linebacker duos in the NFL. So you kind of knew that they were going to come back and play great as a front seven. But my biggest question coming into the season was, can that young secondary, where you've got a second-year player in Sean Murphy Bunting, a second-year player in Jamel Dean, a third-year player in Carlton Davis, a rookie in Antoine Winfield, I guess Jordan Whitehead is really the elder statesman in that secondary at strong safety, um, a second-year player in Mike Edwards, Yes, yeah, second-year player in Mike Edwards, third-year player in Mike Edwards, sorry, who steps in and has to play free safety when Sean Murphy Bunting goes down. Could they take that step and build on that strong second half they had last season and not regress? Now, if they regressed and they played like they did the first half, it really doesn't matter how much how fierce your front seven is for the most part because they're not going to get to the quarterback anyway if you can't cover them. And we saw for the last five years that it doesn't really matter how many points you put up if your defense can't stop anyone so I think my biggest takeaway is that through three weeks this young secondary in that defense has stood strong but one thing that I wanted to see from the Bucks two weeks ago I wanted to see from the Bucks this week was going into the game we talked about it they're more talented than the Panthers were and Denver they're more talented and 
then and they were beat up. I mean, even on the offense, you've got a third quarter, third string quarterback that winds up playing. Your number one wide receiver is out. Your number two running back is out. They're missing an offensive lineman. I wanted to see them when they built that big lead like they did against the Panthers, like they did against Denver yesterday. Keep your foot on the gas. And they didn't do that. Against the Panthers, like you said, they allowed them to kind of crawl back into the game. And yesterday, they scored five points in the second half, and two of that came from a Shaq Barrett safety. So I think this team has a lot of talent. We know that when you look at the roster. But if they don't stop things like offensive penalties, if they don't stop things like sputtering out in the second half, I think that is what could spell their own downfall later in the season when they're playing teams like the Saints again. Like the Panth- I mean, like the Packers, like the Chiefs, that that's going to be their biggest problem if they can't correct those issues. Yeah, and I mean, uh, piggybacking off of what you said, I think the importance of this defense is that they can show up and they can play four full quarters. Two weeks in a row, you got a clutch fourth quarter interception. I mean, the game definitely wasn't nearly on the line this week like it was the week before with Carolina. But Mike Edwards has had a uh, really good fourth quarter interception, and that defense was at a spot where. You know, I think a lot of people thought they were going to start letting Denver creep back into this game because if Mike Edwards not got that ball, I think that was going to be a touchdown because Antoine Winfield was beat right there and um, it was just a good read from Mike Edwards. But what I'm saying is that having a defense that can play four full quarters is very important, especially when, as you mentioned, you've got an offense that sputters in the second half. And that's a big headline coming out of Sunday's game is the first half was great. Brady was looking good. Three touchdowns. We got the connection to Gronk going. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But come the third quarter, about halfway through the third quarter, you just kind of see them sputter out. And I don't know if it's from the abundance of, you know, running it up the gut on first down. I, I don't know why their drives just stall out so much, but you are right. And I will say this. I don't worry so much about them sputtering out in the second half when you're up 28 to 10, 25 to 10. But when you're facing a much better team like the New Orleans Saints, like the Green Bay Packers, who are coming up sooner than we expect them to, you know, that type of stuff just cannot fly. So I would love to see this offense put together four full quarters of football, and they just have not done that yet. But still working out the chemistry, still working out the kinks, and I guess at this rate we just have to see what they do against L.A., but that is definitely something that needs to be worked on. Now, before we talk any more about the offense and the good and bad from Sunday's game, I wanted to go over some stat lines as well. First and foremost, the quarterback, Tom Brady, his day looks like this. 25 for 38 on passing attempts, 297 yards, three touchdowns, and zero interceptions. And let me just add this. Dude, Brady was throwing dimes all afternoon. I mean, that ball placement, I don't think you could have asked him to really have it any better. You know, we saw a couple of miscommunications. We saw a couple of guys not able to reel it in, but... For Brady, I'd say so far his strongest performance in a Tampa Bay uniform. Uh, yeah, I. so there was two throws that stick out to me kind of that I think he missed. Uh, one was when he had Gronkowski wide open in the corner of the end zone. Yeah. And you really wouldn't expect him to miss Gronkowski there. Uh, you just Those two just seem to have undeniable chemistry. So right there, you'd expect that to be a touchdown. Um, as soon as the ball was released, I, I kind of – knew that it was overthrown. It just seemed like it was launched. Um, and then the other one was uh, the play right before the Scotty Miller deep ball. It was the play to, to O.J. Howard, I believe. Uh, John Ledyard from Peter Report actually put tweet a video of it today that, uh, you know, Anthony Ciccolo was able to make the play on it. But if yeah. Brady leads him a little bit, I mean, that's a big gain right there. So um, those are the ones I, I, I really look at. Uh, 
just a, a stat back to the the second half offense for a minute. I, I I didn't mind the second half offense. I just wanted to put that out there. It, when you're facing first and twenty constantly, uh, I think that's going to really sputter what you're able to do. Um, and I mean, yeah, in Brady's case, I thought they still threw the ball. Uh, I I thought they played much better in the second half versus Denver. Um, so I mean, yeah, in Brady's case, though, I thought. He played good. I mean, that, that throw to O.J. Howard where they rolled him out and he was able to throw O.J. made a great catch. Um, I mean, I just think that's a perfect ball. Not really much, much better you can do there. Uh, so I, I thought he, he played a solid game. But honestly, I don't know if he played a perfect game. He held the ball uh, for two sacks, which I felt like normally he'd throw away or just they wouldn't be sacks normally. I, I felt yeah. like he, he held the ball there. So I don't think this was a perfect Tom Brady game. But, hey, I mean, if a perfect, if a not-so-perfect Tom Brady game is – 297 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. I think uh, Bucks fans will take that all day. So, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, Taylor, I wanted to get your thoughts on this as well. What did you see from Brady? Was there anything that you know concerned you as well, or anything that I guess that he can just build on from here? I mean, yeah, it was a great first half, but like you, like we said, um, that that one to Gronk in the back of the end zone. I think he probably hits that uh, that pass 99 times out of 100. The one to OJ, he just missed, and he had a good day. I mean, I pers- I don't think Brady has had, even despite the two interceptions in week one, I don't think he's had what I would call a bad game yet, mm-hmm. or even really an average game. Last week, I think, might have been his most impressive. He probably ends up with three, maybe four touchdowns, if not for the drops. His EPA per play is much higher. His yardage is higher. But, yeah, I mean, a- a- another really solid day from Tom Brady yesterday, and I mean – if people still think that he can't throw the ball deep, yeah. if they still think that he's washed, if they still think that he doesn't have the ability at 43 to play in this league at a at a high level, they're not watching, they're not paying attention, or they're seeing what they want to see. Because I think he's not playing like when he was 30 years old again, you know, again, and, he, and that can't really be expected. But the drop-off is not significant. Even at 43, I don't know... What's in the water with that TB12 method? But he's still playing, I mean, just at such a high level. Absolutely. I, I got to get myself on that. Maybe it'll just make me a better podcaster in person all around. But let's take a look at some more stat lines here. These two guys I grouped together because I think it's fun to mention them. The first one is Rob Gronkowski. His day looked like six catches on seven targets for 48 yards. Obviously not blowing the roof off of the place, but we'll talk about that here in a second. The second one is the other tight end that got some action. O.J. Howard, three catches on four targets for 49 yards. Now, again, not a barn burner day for either of those guys, but I think it was nice to see the tight ends get involved. And, I, you know, I think after the press conferences that we heard after practice, Gronk must have just been laughing at us all week um, if he knew what Sunday had in store because we definitely saw them make it more of a point to get the ball in his hands. And I think that was their game plan all along, to be honest with you. But when it comes to Gronk in particular, I think it's pretty nice to see because as of right now, you know, he's definitely not where we want him to be. But it looks like he's finally starting to get his legs up from underneath him. And it's uh, much sooner than I think I and a lot of other people had expected it to happen. Yeah, I, I was I was happy with the tight ends. Uh, I mean, you you said you know the receptions and the targets. Each of them m- missed one one target. 
Yeah. Right. And those were the two throws we already highlighted. Uh, the one that was just underthrown to OJ Howard and the one that was overthrown to Rob Gronkowski. So, I mean, you put those in, Gronk has a touchdown and OJ has another big play. So, uh, you know, and all they need is a little bit of a better throw. It's not nothing they did wrong. Uh, so I, I was really impressed with them. I, I thought, you know, in this offense, they, they don't need a tight end to go for 100 yards and two touchdowns. Like that, that's not what this offense is going to be. That's what not what they needed to be. And I think what they need from the tight ends is exactly what they got on Sunday. And I think that should be the game plan going forward. Right. I think on a third down, third and short, uh, I, it looked like they designed some plays for Gronkowski on third and shorts uh, when he was just run across the field there. I think that worked out pretty well. Uh, then Howard, yeah, the, is more of the vertical threat at this point. So I, I like their their game plan there with the tight ends this week. I know Bruce Arians said that it was mostly that way because they realized that Mike Evans was going to be double teamed most of the game, and he pretty much was. Uh, so I did like their game plan. Would have been nice to see one of them get in the end zone, but I mean, I, I think that that's coming sooner rather than later. But you know, overall, pretty happy with the tight ends, and I think hopefully that they they should be involving them about the same rate that they did this week because I think that's a pretty good formula. Yeah, I know people wanted to make a big deal about the lack of um, production from the tight end position, especially when you have a guy that's the caliber player Rob Gronkowski is. I mean, arguably the greatest tight end of all time and a guy who is just as young and athletic and talented as O.J. Howard is, and I think it was just a matter of time. Um, When you look at what Tom Brady's done in this offense, you look, he hit eight receivers yesterday. I think Godwin had five uh, targets. Evans had four. Scotty Miller had four or five. Uh, Gronkowski led the team with, what, six catches on seven targets. OJ had four or five targets. So, really, I mean, Tom Brady's going to hit the open guy. He's not going to say Mike Evans is the most talented wide receiver on the team, so I'm going to throw the ball his way ten times whether he's open or not. If he has a 50-50 ball, I know Bruce Arians loves to say Throw that 50-50 ball, and Mike Evans is going to come down with it. But Tom Brady's going to throw the ball to the guy that's open, whether that's Cyril Grayson down the sideline or whether that's Mike Evans in the end zone on a goal line fade. That's what he's going to do. So I think it's just like when we used to look at the Patriots from a fantasy perspective. Any given week for a running back, any given week for a wide receiver, it was always hard to bet on them, right? And I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to have weeks where Gronkowski and OJ combined for two, three catches. You're also going to have days where they go out like yesterday and have 13, 14 combined targets and catches. And I just think that that's the way Tom Brady operates, and you can't really ask for much more. Oh, no doubt. And I think another guy that's worth mentioning as well on this offense is wide receiver Scotty Miller, our boy Scooter. He had a career best day, 83 receiving yards on just three receptions. Um, so I think to add this on, I think it's safe to say that that Brady-Scooter connection is starting to look better and better week after week. You know, and Brady missed him on a deep ball that yeah. would have been a touchdown. Um, Miller was able to beat the corner, and Brady just overshot it just a little bit. So, I mean, hopefully, you know, it seems like they have decent deep ball chemistry. Um, I mean, Brady underthrew that one deep ball, and Miller just made a fantastic catch. Uh, I, I, you know, it was underthrown just a tad. I think Brady sort of stepped up in the pocket and didn't really have enough room to fully step up, so it was a tad underthrown. But, uh, yeah, still a great catch. And, you know, I mean, that's what Miller's got to do. I mean, when, when Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are out there, he's got to be the, the guy they can go to for a big down-the-field play because he's the guy that's the fastest wide receiver on the team. 
and that's what he's going to be used for. So he's not Julian Edelman. He's not going to run, you know, five, six-yard outs every play and just catch those balls. That That's not what this offense is designed for him to do, and that's not the type of player he is. He is much more, I, I like I said, I, I know we've already mentioned this before, I believe after the New Orleans game, but I forget who said it. Uh, he's much more Deshaun Jackson than, than he is uh, Julian Edelman. Uh, not obviously as explosive as Deshaun Jackson. I'm not comparing him to him, but just in terms of the style of, of the type of routes that they're having him run, I mean, yeah, he's definitely earned the trust of Brady. Uh, he had a another drop, which was a tough diving catch, so kind of an excuse on that one, but I mean, yeah, just like Taylor said, uh, whenever you're you're looking for fantasy players, you never wanted to really target New England players. One, because they never really seem to have a number one receiver. And two, because you just didn't know. Like, there could be one week Julian Edelman gets you six points, and the next week he gets you 25. Because, like you said, Tom Brady's going to throw to the open guy. Uh, Tyler Johnson got a target. It was dropped, and it ended up being a penalty anyway. But he was open, so Tom Brady threw it to him. Uh, he's always going to target that open guy. And I mean, I love the Evans goal line fade. Like you, you mentioned Taylor. Uh, I thought that was a great call, something that I think the Bucks need to do more. And I just think that Tom Brady, yeah, he's going to spread the ball around. And I think it's going to benefit pretty much everybody. I mean, you saw in this offense last year, uh, really Justin Watson really didn't get many catches or targets until Godwin and Evans went down. And I recall, I believe Watson had a few, one or two catches in New Orleans, and he had uh, one or two catches last week and a few targets last week and obviously didn't play in this game. But, um, I mean, that just goes to show you that he, he's not going to target a specific player. And that's something I think the Bucks in the past have had trouble with. Uh, I, I feel like they were really saying, okay, Mike Evans is there, so throw it to him. Well, he's maybe not open, so throw to the open guy. And I think Taylor really hit the nail on the head with that one. Well, I think there were a few times last year where, you know, they would come out and first play the drive. Everybody in the arena knew that the ball was going to go to Mike Evans and it would be intercepted, and and that's what would happen. So, I mean, I definitely agree with the point that you had made there. Um, Taylor, I didn't mean to cut you off. I saw you were going to say something else as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, I have actually – been extremely impressed by Scotty Miller and a little surprised that he hasn't been used more. Um, coming into this season, it was really tough for Scotty last year because of just, I mean, he suffered three separate hamstring injuries. He suffered one in preseason. He suffered one early in the season and his, I believe his season ended with a hamstring injury. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you really didn't get to see a ton of him consistently, but the way they used him, like you said, was, in that Deshaun Jackson role. Again, not Deshaun Jackson, but that's the way they used him. Um, If you follow me on Twitter, you know that it frustrates me to no end to hear him uh, called a slot receiver because he's five foot nine and white. Schlereth even called him a slot receiver yesterday on the broadcast. If you have watched Scotty Miller play, he runs a sub four, four. He is a vertical receiver who is going to be lined up on the outside. And I don't want to talk about this too much because I'm currently writing something about it for pewterreport.com. You can read it later in the week on Scotty Miller. But coming into the season, I really thought that was what he was going to be. It was going to be a limited role where he's running vertical routes and creating space or getting that deep shot, get a couple targets a game in that fashion. But watching how he was used at, at week one against New Orleans on 
plays that are literally just designed to get the ball in his hands. He ran a couple uh, just bubble screens that he took for six yards, I think, twice. His speed also creates such cushion when he's lined up. When you look at how Janoris Jenkins was lined up on him against uh, against New Orleans, when you can get Janoris Jenkins 12 yards off of you to start the play with that kind of speed and you have the route running ability he has to either break it off and come back for a curl route that you can get for 12 yards or cut across his face when he flips his hips to the outside, when you can sell that outside leverage, get Jenkins to flip his hips and then cut it across, you have him beat by, by six yards by the time the ball's coming out of Brady's hand inside. So Scotty Miller has a lot of talent and it really surprised me to see Tyler Johnson uh, come out and have as many snaps as he did uh-huh. compared to Scotty today. Um, despite the fact that Godwin went down, despite the fact that Johnson has missed so much time. And I know a lot of people, including myself, um, have a lot of high hopes for what Johnson can do in this offense. But again, I've been incredibly impressed by Scotty Miller. And I think that there's a lot of things that he can do outside of just being what people perceive him as as a slot receiver or what even I perceived him as coming into the season is almost exclusively a vertical threat. Now, Taylor, glad- I, I, look, I looked, I wanted to reference a tweet that, that you had sent out after the New Orleans game. It was on a, a fake end around play, and Scotty Miller went around, and you said, you know, the Bucks should run this next time, but instead just, you know, hand it off to Miller and just let him eat, right? Because it was open field where, where yeah. Miller was running. It was just completely open. And I think, I'm not sure. I, we we saw they, that same they ran end around this week. Point. That's what I thought. I, I thought they they had ran something similar to that. So I mean, that's just another thing that that Miller can do in this offense. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you have a guy that fast with that much athleticism, I mean, sometimes just get the ball in his freaking hands and let him go. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought him up. I'm glad that you brought up Tyler Johnson as well because I wanted to get your guys' opinion on it. You mentioned it briefly, but yes, Chris Godwin, ladies and gents, did go down. He was out of Sunday's game from halftime, and it was a non-contact, I guess, hamstring injury from what we saw. He kind of gripped that hamstring after running a route and um, walked under his own power to the sideline, but definitely expecting Chris Godwin to miss some time again, unfortunately. But with that being said, without Godwin out there, definitely opens the door for a lot of guys like Tyler Johnson, you had just mentioned, to get a bigger role. Maybe we see a little bit more of Scotty Miller next week, but what do you guys think is the adjustment from here. Do you think we see more Tyler Johnson? Has that decision been made? Or where do you think they go from here without Chris Godwin on the field? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think Tyler Johnson, just based on his usage this week, is going to start to um, find his way onto the field a little more. Personally, what I would do is I would play O.J. Howard a lot more in the slot. Um, I thought they were going to do that in week two without Godwin, and they ended up going with Justin Watson. But the fact of the matter is, until Justin Watson proves himself, which he hasn't done for, what, three seasons with the team, he just, I mean, he's had every opportunity to step up and be that guy, and he just hasn't. So I think eventually that is going to wear thin. I know that uh, Bruce likes a guy with his size who can be up there in the slot and block and play that Chris Godwin role. I don't see why O.J. Howard can't be a more viable threat for that. But yeah, I think you're going to see more Scotty Miller. I think you're going to see more Tyler Johnson. But I'm actually, it just seems like any given week, and I'm interested to see how they attack that role if Godwin is forced to miss time. Yeah, I was I was a big fan of the the Tyler Johnson draft pick when it 
happened. And, uh, you know, I, it was a shame that, you know, he didn't really have an off-season program as a rookie. Then he comes into training camp and immediately gets hurt, and that really hindered his entire camp and, and caused him to be inactive uh, for the first two games. So, uh, you know, I think in this offense, like you said, Bruce Arians really seems to like him. He's got the mold of, of a Chris Godwin. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, he's got the exact same build. Um, he's very similar. I think he can run all the routes that this offense is going to ask him to. He can go vertical. Um, I, I just think he's a good fit for this offense. Obviously, he needs time. and uh, But I do think that, you know, if Godwin is forced to miss time, I, I, I trust him. And I, I would like to get see him get a look over a guy like Justin Watson at this point. Um and obviously, you know, like surreal grace and obviously he's not going to get many more looks, even if any. Um, but, yeah, I would expect Johnson's workload to just, you know, be even more. Like you said, I was surprised when the snap counts came out and Tyler Johnson, I believe what he played four less snaps than Scotty Miller or something like that. Yeah, it was, it was like extremely that. close. Yeah. So I was like, man, like I, but I, I did notice Johnson was out there uh, a little bit during the broadcast, but I didn't realize it was that close. Uh, but, yeah, hopefully Tyler Johnson's able to to really get a little into a groove a little bit and able to develop, especially like you said, if Godwin's able to miss time is if they can have Johnson step up while having Miller and Evans there, I think that's definitely a, a luxury. And I think, uh, they'd be able to survive, uh, have missing out on Chris Godwin for a game or potentially a few more. And I think one more thing I want to mention about this offense before we flip it over and look at the defense is the run game. This week, I, I really don't think we saw any more developments of, you know, who's going to be your bell cow back as we did week after week. I think the Bucks are proven that they're going to use this as a rotation, as a lot of people have mentioned, and they did just that. We saw a first quarter that had some Ronald Jones. I believe they saw Leonard Fournette close out the first quarter, and then a couple of minutes into the second, they threw Rojo back in there. So the stat lines for both of those guys look like this. Ronald Jones took his 13 carries and went for 53 yards, so he didn't have a terrible day. Leonard Fournette had seven carries and 15 yards. So I think next week we just kind of have to expect some more of the same from this run game, right? Yeah, I mean, Denver's a good run defense team. Uh, I didn't really expect them to have much success on the ground this week. I thought Rojo ran pretty hard. I honestly think that Rojo's ran hard all season. Yeah. Like I even I went back and watched a little bit some of his runs from the New Orleans game. I mean, you look at those runs, he's running hard. It's not like he's just sitting there and like Charles Sims was and just dancing behind the line of scrimmage. Like he's trying to just hit that hole. And I, I thought he played decent. Uh, he had a few runs there at the end of the really just you know, not even give the Broncos the ball back. Obviously, the game was over, but you don't want to give them the ball back. So he was able to run for a first down, and that basically iced it. Uh, yeah, Fournette had a rough go of it. Uh, it. I don't really see it as a huge deal. I, I think – I even think that even if Fournette really had a good day, I still think they really like this this rotation that, you know, keep the two backs fresh. And then, you know, Fournette the closer, but, I mean, Ronald Jones was the closer this time. Uh, Fournette did have the, the fumble exchange with the handoff. Uh, it seemed like that was completely just on him. Uh, he's lucky, you know, he was able to recover that one. Uh, not really row, sure. man. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's too – so the Rojo one just hit his forearm. But this one, I mean, Fournette, I thought he, like, had it. Like, yeah, I, it I don't right understand – yeah, I'm not really sure what what went on there, but um, and then obviously you know last week versus the Panthers you saw a lot of Lashawn McCoy in the passing game. This week you really didn't, I believe. What do you have? Uh, one or two catches on on checkdowns. So, um, I mean, yeah, you're you're 
you're seeing a different thing every week. And it, it sort of is New England-esque, especially with the running backs, because New England's M.O. for all this time and still is now that, you know, they're going to carry three, four running backs. But guess what? If they carry four running backs, three of them are getting touches in the game. At least three of them are getting touches in the game. So um, I definitely think it's a strategy that can work, and I think they should stick with it. Uh, ride the hot hand during the game, but I don't think you go away from your original plan of having this as a rotation. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, last year you had kind of a similar rotation, the exception of this year they are just better. Um, Rojo is a better running back than he was last year. Leonard Fournette is better than Peyton Barber, and I think that's what Bruce Arians kind of wanted out of this that rotation last year when he came in. The first thing he said was thunder and lightning. You know, Peyton Barber is going to be that guy who runs hard up the middle, but the problem is Peyton Barber is just a guy. Like, he's not an exceptional running back in this league. Leonard Fournette, I'm not saying, is an exceptional running back in this league, but he is better than Peyton Barber. Uh He's just more talented. And then uh, the reason I thought Dario Gambuale was going to still make this team was because none of them can really pass block, Uh like, at all. So I thought that that was a spot that Dario would have, and I think that Bruce Arians and staff just decided that LaShawn McCoy was the better weapon, which he is. I mean, LaShawn McCoy has been a very talented back in this league for a long time, whereas Dari Ogunbowale, like we said about, or like I said about Peyton Barber, is really kind of just a guy. He's very replaceable. So I think that LaShawn McCoy, despite the drop in the end zone and another drop for a first down last weekend, I think is still their player of choice on obvious passing downs on third down. He's been that safety valve for Brady. Um, I think Rojo will continue to be the starter and get the carries, but I think that Bruce Arians is much more comfortable making it a rotation than he was last year. We often saw him, I mean, Peyton Barber was the starting running back for about three or four weeks longer than he should have been. Uh We would see periods where he would get 10 consecutive carries. Rojo would do the same later in the season. But I think, yeah, like you said, much more likely and much more comfortable to be a more regular rotation, have one guy or the other, whoever's running the ball better in the fourth quarter, be that guy who's going to salt away a win. So um, while I still don't think the running game is where they want it to be and where really anyone wants it to be, um, as far as efficiency and just pure, you're not going to run the ball down somebody's throat and win all game. And for that reason, I think that the play calling should continue to be more aggressive, throw the ball in early downs, things like that. I do think that it is an improvement from last year, and it's something that, as the season goes on, could be something they can lean on a little more. Most definitely. And I think another thing that needs to be mentioned is, you know, we talked about Ronald Jones based off of his performance Sunday. I think in my book, he still deserves to be that RB1, your starter coming out of the gate, because he did have not a bad day. He ran the ball hard. But I think we also need to mention that, you know, Alex Kappa kind of had a rough go of it. I think that offensive line as a unit, they didn't play a terrible game. You know, we talked about the sacks that Brady had taken. I think two of those, he just held on to the ball too long. It's hard to pin those on the offensive line when the guy tackling you is coming from behind you. You know what I mean? But um, but yeah, Alex Kappa in particular, and I'd say just some of the offensive line and the run protection needs to open things up a little bit more. You saw Ronald Jones had a pretty impressive run. He moved the chains and then it got called back because Alex Kappa some way, somehow got two holding calls on one play. <laughs> so I guess he two. was holding a guy with each hand. Like, did you guys get a closer look at what happened? Because I didn't see the replay. I didn't see what happened, but I, 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 I thought they got. 
I cap had definitely helped, but I don't yeah. think I think the the ref made a mistake because it looked like OJ Howard had also. That's what I was thinking, play. and he said sixty eight twice. I think. Yeah, he he. He's, I I was like, uh, I don't know about that. And then they showed the replay, and they showed Kappa, but then Kappa falls down after he holds the guy, and you can see Howard sort of do like almost the same thing that Kappa did. So I think they sort of made a mistake there. Um, but yeah, I mean. The run game, the offensive line, as far as the run game goes, it just, yeah, hasn't been able to open up holes. And, I mean, really, obviously, they're not a power run scheme. So yeah. this offensive line isn't built to, to you know, this isn't like the Titans. Uh, they aren't going to run the ball 20 times, and there's going to be holes every now and then. You'll it's see a lot of guys happen. sprinting to the second and third level as O-linemen. Yeah. No. So, I mean, you know, one of the most impressive plays for me, though, was Ronald Jones ran it. And he was down. And Ryan Jensen must have alone pushed him five or six more yards. And I thought they were going to get into the end zone. I was like, man, that is a heck of an effort there. I, that was the best play that the offensive line had in the run game, I think, all day. Uh, as far as the pass protection, it was much better. Um, I thought Tristan Wirfs played okay. Um, just wanted to, you know, I think this was honestly his worst game, and it wasn't even a horrible game. And that just speaks yeah. to how good he's been. Yeah. Uh, you know, week one, he was good. Week two, he was good. And then week three, he made, I believe he had a penalty. Um, and then he, he got, he got like duped by, I think, Bradley Chubb on one run play. And just so Chubb kind of made him look silly. Uh, but I mean, other than that, uh, this kid has just been, you know, exceptional uh, in everything that the Bucks have wanted. Uh, really, their first two rookies, which obviously we'll get into Winfield here in a second. But, um, and Donovan Smith, I thought, played okay. Uh, the biggest thing is the penalties. And really, in the first half, the penalties were not an issue. I mean, they barely had any penalties in the first half. And then they just started to really pile up, it seemed, in the second half. And Yeah, it was play uh, after play. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was nuts. I, mean, I think I, I tweeted out once. I was like, you know, they can't run the ball without holding. Like, they, you know, in the yeah. second half, I believe it was, you know, they tried to run it on one drive and it was a holding, and then the very next drive they tried to run it again right away and it was a holding cause. Like, they they can't do it. So um, that's something that needs to be cleaned up. And I mean, Bruce even said that. You know, he he said that that's something that they definitely need to clean up. And because just like we said earlier, that's not going to fly against the Packers. Yeah. And you cannot live that far behind the no. chains. No, yeah. you you just can't. I mean, and even you know, Denver. I I'm not saying like they still have talent on defense, but I mean, even a team that's better than Denver, but not on like the Packers and Saints level. You know, uh, I mean, a team like the a team like the Falcons, who I mean, their their defense it seems like it's in shambles. But I think right now they might be a tad bit better than than Denver's, like health wise. Uh, a team like that, uh, they play the the Lions, who are a strong defensive team. They play the Vikings, who seem to be a strong defensive team. You, you can't even do that against those teams because that that'll end up burning you, and that could end up costing you the game. So I think it'll get cleaned up. It just for some reason the second half. Everything the offensive line just really seems to to slow down, especially in the run blocking. But uh, I thought they did a a fine job pass blocking, but you know run blocking definitely needs to improve. Now speaking of discipline as a whole, and we're going to talk about the defense here shortly. I'm really chomping at the bit to talk about these guys. They are the bright spot of this team. But I wanted to get your guys' opinion on one more thing. Bruce Arians went through two timeouts in zero seconds of game time yesterday. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on just some of those decisions that kind of pop up? Because it's not the first time that we've seen Bruce throw the challenge flag 
And it's almost like he's throwing it out of spite. Like I really would have thought that, you know, he had seen clearly that the runner did not get the first down. And, and then it took, you know, a timeout on the next play on fourth and short. And then we throw the challenge flag. Like it almost seemed pointless at that time to really try and, you know, barter for that extra yard to get the first down and move the chains. Like these kind of things, you know, while it's not as concerning when you're up on the scoreboard like you were against Denver at the time. But again, you know, we just talk about these these. I hate to say more serious opponents, but these closer games that are going to be happening, these more competitive games, stuff like that just bites you in the ass. And and I don't know how much more of that we can see of it. Now, I'm not, you know, obviously we don't need to fire Bruce and Bruce and reevaluate this staff, but I definitely think it needs to be talked about because a lot of people seem like they're choosing to overlook that. I got no idea. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Arians, we know, is a great offensive mind. And you can see from what he's done in Arizona, what he's done here in Tampa, he's phenomenal at building a roster. But if there is something that you can knock him for, it's in-game management. We saw it last year when he and Todd Bowles take back-to-back timeouts mm-hmm. on fourth and goal from the one-yard line against the Carolina Panthers. Yep. On a on uh, That's the play of the game. If Vernon Hargreaves does not... I mean, don't really want to mention him anymore, I guess, Bucks fans. But Vernon Hargreaves, whether you like it or not, chases down McCaffrey, makes a stop inches from the goal line, and wins the Bucks that week two matchup against the Panthers. The difference when you are going from fourth and goal from the one and fourth and goal from the half-yard line is monumentous. And they take back-to-back timeouts and move that. We saw them take a delay-of-game penalty last year that wound up pushing Matt Gay five yards further and he missed a kick by feet. Yesterday, we see him on fourth and inches. I think everybody in the stadium, everybody watching on TV, and everybody in just about the world who knows what's going on understands that you really have two options there, most likely. Unless you pull something else out of your back pocket, it's probably going to be a run with Fournette, or it's probably going to be a sneak with Brady, and I really don't think it's that complicated. You go for it, you pick it up. Um, I know that Bruce Arians, whether he's on defense or offense, really likes to burn a timeout on fourth downs just to make sure they can see the defensive or offensive personnel, depending on which side of the ball they're on, and ensure that they're calling the play they want. But that I can live with. But when you throw the challenge flag, we it's like that red flag burns a hole in Bruce's pocket. It was a lot more prevalent, I think, last year when you could challenge pass interference. Yep. Um, so it seemed like you said that he was throwing a lot of flags out of spite last year. He would almost, it seemed like, throw them just so after the game he could say, I can't comment on the officiating or I'll get fined. Um, but I mean, you wasted two timeouts and zero seconds of game time in the first quarter. And I know that a lot of fans might think that we're nitpicking or you look at it and you go, what does it matter? It's two first half timeouts. They're assets. Just like anything else, having timeouts in your back pocket are assets. If it's going to come down to a close game, those two timeouts might be the difference in zero points or a field goal at the end of a half. That might be the difference in a field and settling for a field goal or scoring a touchdown at the half. And I just don't think that while it's not the end of the world, um, those are not assets that you can just waste or you should waste. So I think it's something that just needs to be corrected. It might not be. And again, it's not the end of the world and it is a little bit nitpicky, but I don't think it's something that you, that Bucks fans should just sweep under the rug. And I don't think it's something Bruce himself should just sweep under the rug, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I think every head coach has like a video guy, right? That they yeah. they have there telling them. I mean, either Bruce needs to fire that guy, or he needs to do the opposite of what that guy says. Unless Bruce, unless that dude is saying, "Don't challenge it," and Bruce says, "I'm doing it anyway." Uh, my biggest gripe with it was, okay, so it's fourth and one. They try to draw him off sides. Okay. So you're buying time to look at the play that you're going to challenge. So you call a timeout, you throw the challenge, and you come right back out, and you go for it on fourth down. They got it. It was a Leonard Fournette two-yard run. But in that case, like I assume they were going to punt after you get the challenge wrong. If you were planning on going yeah. for it on fourth down anyway, what is the difference? I, I just I, I didn't understand that, and I think just like you said, Taylor, uh, people were going to look at it. It was the first quarter. I believe the Bucks were up seven nothing at that point. Uh, what does it matter? Well, you know that's huge. That that could potentially lead to points. You know, yeah. uh, with you know 15 seconds left, Gronkowski gets tackled on the two yard line, but the Bucks have no more timeouts because they ended up burning two of them in zero seconds, and now you can't score any points. Uh, you know, that hurts, and and now come back to bite them. And thank God it wasn't, you know, obviously it wasn't a close game, but thank God, you know, that didn't happen in the second half because that's even bigger then because now you're talking about the end of the game that you have one timeout, potentially no timeouts, headed into the final two minutes, minute where you may need a score. So I think it's definitely something that Bruce Arians needs to correct, and I, just, I don't know if he will because, yeah. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. That he just he doesn't seem to really learn, and I, I use the word, it seems like he's, like, challenge happy sometimes. It seemed like, just like you guys said, just, you know, that that's like burning a hole in his pocket. He's got to get rid of the flag. He's got to get rid of that challenge flag. And, you know, I, I believe, you know, he, he won a challenge. It was either last week or in New Orleans. He won one. But then this one just was not a good one. And uh, yeah. I thought it was pretty clear. LaShawn McCoy's knee was down. Uh, the ball was not where it needed to be to get the first down. And, yeah, it definitely questionable, but I, I think, you know, it didn't kill him, but it's definitely something worth mentioning. That's also something that's something you can't do against the Packers and the Saints. Yeah. That, that, that's got to be the theme of this episode. You can do that against the Broncos here. You, you cannot do those mental mistakes against yeah. the Packers and Saints, right? I mean, what if the Bucs would have gotten stopped there? The, then the Broncos take over at midfield, you know, only down 7 nothing, and the Bucs suddenly have one timeout. Like, that's just, that cannot happen against the good teams in this league. Yeah. You know, when you're in the NFL to win a game, you need every advantage you can get. You need every asset you can get. So again, while a lot of people might take that conversation as nitpicking, all I'm trying to say is that if later on down the season, we see some poor game management and it ultimately costs Tampa Bay a game, just remember this conversation. That's all I've got to say. But let's go ahead and move on. Let's wrap things up with probably my favorite thing from the game on Sunday, and it's this defense, the moment that everybody's been waiting for. I mean, these guys, good God almighty, dude, their stat line looks like this. Six sacks, two from the hometown hero Shaq Barrett, one from Jason Pierre-Paul, one from Vita Vea, who had himself an absolute day against a beat-up rookie tackle, Yeah. one from Jordan Whitehead, and one from probably... Dude, I hate to say it so early, but the best defensive player on this team, Antoine Winfield Jr., got himself in the backfield with a sack. So with that being said, obviously this defense had a great day. They won the Bucs the game. They dominated. Where do they go from here? I mean, they have absolutely been playing above expectations. They're the bright spot of this football team. And me personally, I think at this moment, at week three, they're very worthy of being discussed as one of the top three defenses in the NFL right now just because of how productive they've been. 
Obviously, they haven't faced a top-tier offense just yet. They kind of shut down the Saints. Drew Brees had a bad game, but that was week one. As of right now, I think they're one of the better units in the league, and the question then becomes, Evan, where do they go from here, dude? Well, I mean, if you're talking about current right now, September 28th, you have to include the Buccaneers in the top five defense in the league. You just have to. Uh, I, I think, obviously, maybe not overall, but if you're talking currently on this season right now, who is playing the best defensive football right now? The Buccaneers have to be in the top five. I, I, I think, you know, um, I mean, yeah, they just they dominated. I mean, just absolutely dominated. And I understand that this Denver team was not an offensive juggernaut to begin with, even before all the injuries. And then, obviously, you, like, you, know, you lose your starting quarterback, uh, number two running back, number one wide receiver. But, I mean, they still have. Jerry Judy was the 15th overall pick. Noah Fant is a great tight end. Obviously, their offensive line is bad. But Melvin Gordon is still a pretty solid running back. K.J. Hamler is a solid wide receiver that was a second-round pick. Uh, You know, it's not like they have nobodies on there. Now, obviously, the quarterback was the big thing. Jeff Driscoll, I mean, he struggled, right? He just he couldn't seem to get anything going, partially because of the offensive line. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, I, I'm always a guy that says football's won up front, right, in the trenches. And, I mean, if, if you're able to just dominate an offensive line like that, I don't think it gives the other offense much of a chance at all. Um, and, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier about the blitzing. I, man, they were – send them the house and i mean the one time it burned them was when only because devin white slipped yeah and royce freeman yeah. was able to get free if devin white doesn't slip they smashed driscoll on that play uh and i mean they they smashed him on the interception of levante david i mean the ball just popped right up in the air i mean that thing was hanging there for free pick <laughs> yeah i mean that's just if if you don't pick that off i don't know what else to tell you but and a great play I by mean, anthony that, nelson right there as well who got an increased mm-hmm. role in the snap count it was yeah. good to see that from him so great play from him yeah they they that's a guy that they need to to play you know solid because i don't think you know you can't rely on just shaq bear and jesus Pierre paul to play every single snap so i think you know they're good teams they have depth of those positions and i think they need him to play well but i mean you look at the safety if Shaq Barrett didn't get to him, somebody was going to get to him. <laughs> I think, yeah. you know, there was, was just collapsed. no, yeah, there was no chance. And uh, I mean, Antoine Winfield, you say he's the best player on the team. I mean, on Sunday, he, you could have made a case that he almost was the best player on the field for the Bucks. Uh, I mean, you know, him and a, a few other guys really stood out. Uh, that sack that he had on Driscoll. I don't know if I've ever seen a Buccaneers like safety actually do that, where they just take chase down. The guy can actually bring him down like by the shoelaces. Um, but I mean, that was, you know, that was very impressive. Uh, I think he's going to get a turnover here. One of these weeks. I just think it's only a matter of time before he gets his first pick. Uh, he seems to always be in the right spot and just, he's incredible. And I mean, Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield right now are a reason why they're winning these football games. And that's huge for, you know, the Buccaneers and their, their future. And I think that where the defense go from here, I mean, you got to take advantage of another team that is not great offensively against an inexperienced quarterback and an offensive line. that's a little shaky. Uh, they do have some, you know, a lot better weapons than than Denver does when I'm talking about the Chargers here. But I mean, I, I think you, you got to take advantage of that. Then you have Chicago. Chicago just changed their quarterback, Nick Foles. 
But, man, I look at Chicago, and I'm just not impressed with them. They, they've beaten nope. Atlanta, who's 0-3 now. The Giants be the worst 3-0 team in the league. I, I maybe like, in the <laughs> last... I don't even think their defense is no. that impressive. It's, it's really not to me. I don't, I, don't, I don't see it. They should have lost to Detroit week one. I mean, yeah. if DeAndre yeah. Swift catches that ball in the end zone, they, they lose. Should have lost uh, to the Falcons yesterday. I mean, yeah. <laughs> just unbelievable. Yeah, it, it's it's it really is unreal. So I think you look at this defense, and they have an opportunity here with the next two games to really even pick up more momentum. And then obviously you got the big matchup week six versus Aaron Rodgers, who just looks unstoppable right now. But I am excited to see that matchup because I think that's the first real test for this defense. And that's if I mean if this defense comes out and and beats Aaron Rodgers with how Aaron Rodgers is playing right now, you have to talk about them as being one of the best, if not the best, in the NFL. But but that's down the line. Talking about yesterday, just complete dominance. I mean, just just dominance. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I talked a lot about the defense early and what I uh, was most impressed with with the secondary covering. Um, but yeah, they've been able to create so much pressure from so many different directions. Um, Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq were very limited in the first two games as far as just pure production. They were they played well. I know against New Orleans, Shaq did a great job consistently of setting the edge. Um, but the Bucks were able to create pressure from Indomitian Sue, Vita Vea. They each have uh, Vita Vea has a sack now. What Indomitian Sue, uh, Sue has two on the season, two. I think. Yep. So um, you've also had uh, I, th- I think uh, pressure Will from up the middle. Will, Will, Will Goldston Will has, has been sack. great. Anthony Nelson obviously got that pressure yesterday that led to a pick. Um, Antoine Winfield has two sacks on the season. You've seen them get pressure. I want to say Levante David has a sack. I'm not. Don't quote me on that. But, um, yeah, they've been able to bring pressure from so many different directions. The young secondary has stood up, and I think what is so important, I'm not ready to crown Antoine Winfield the best player on the, on the defense yet, but I wrote about it before the season that I think I got the impression very early last season that the most important role in Todd Bowles' defense is a safety who's versatile. He played a huge role in drafting Jamal Adams as the head coach in uh, New York. He played a huge role in drafting Tyran Matthew with the uh, Cardinals. He worked with Buda Baker. And last year, he tried to find that guy in Mike Edwards. The problem with last year and their safeties is that Jordan Whitehead is, I think he's a better safety than um, some people think he is. I like him. But he's at his best when he's being a true box safety, coming downhill, playing, um, trying to get in the backfield, trying to take down running backs. That's where he's at his best, being physical, putting his nose in on plays. And Mike Edwards, I think they really liked because not only did he have, what, eight you know, turnovers as a, as a senior at Kentucky, but he also was one of Kentucky's leading tacklers in his time there. And um, he was a captain. He was a leader. I think they thought he was a smart player, a sure tackler, a guy who could drop back into center field and create turnovers. But the problem was, uh, as Nick Rapone, the Bucks' safeties coach, said preseason, and um, Bruce Arians said, despite the fact that they believe Mike Edwards is a ball hawk, said he was getting his hand on as many balls as anybody in the secondary in preseason, he had an issue tackling last year. I think I looked at it this today, and um, he had 36 tackles last year total, but also had nine missed tackles. And he was a liability in coverage, gave up too many big plays, and that's why he eventually, by week five, lost his starting job to Andrew Adams, who the Bucks had picked up off the street um, after the season had started two years in a row. So the bright spot that I saw from Adams yesterday was that he had three tackles, none missed, 
and he came up with his first career interception on an absolutely unbelievable play where the Bucks sent six uh, six men blitz, man coverage. He was uh, alone over the top in single high coverage. He took his first step towards a one-on-one coverage with uh, Jamel Dean and Tim Patrick and then was able to come back, like you said, after Judy beat Winfield at the top of his route, come back and make that play. So that was really, um, I think, important not only for uh, Mike Edwards, but it's important to get that confidence with the coaching staff because if Antoine or if uh, Sean Murphy Bunting, like we said with the hamstring, is forced to miss time, you are going to see the Bucks, I think, deploy a base big nickel package. And what that is, but for those listening who don't, you know, the nickel package is five defensive backs. It's typically your three cornerbacks, generally being Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis, and Sean Murphy Bunting in the slot with two safeties and Antoine Winfield and Jordan Whitehead. Now, what a big nickel defense is, is it's that same five defensive backs. But instead of having your slot cornerback, you're having three safeties. So two cornerbacks, three safeties to make up those five defensive backs because Antoine Winfield yesterday slid into the slot cornerback role mm-hmm. when Sean Murphy Bunting did. That's what allowed Mike, Mike Edwards to get into the free safety role. I think if Sean Murphy Bunting is forced to miss a game, that's what you're going to see the Bucks deploy as their base defense. If Sean Murphy Bunting is forced to go on the IR for three weeks, luckily in 2020, um, you could pro- you'll probably see the Bucks re-sign uh, Mozzie Wilkins, who was released. Um, Parnell Motley was active for his first game this week. But, yeah, I mean, it's really big, I think, for uh, Mike Edwards to get in there, get that pick, get that confidence. Because if Sean Murphy bunting, it's going to hurt the defense because I don't think Antoine Winfield is at his best um, at nickel cornerback. I think he can do it. He's going to do a serviceable job. I really like that that allows him to get closer to the line of scrimmage where yeah. he has had so much success blitzing. Um but, yeah, I, I'm really interested to see the injury report come out this week from Sean Murphy Bunting, and I'm really interested to see how Antoine Winfield's going to do um, playing a whole game really at slot, playing that really Tyran Matthew role where about 50% or more of his snaps are going to come from slot cornerback, and Mike Edwards is going to slide into that free safety role and hopefully um, play a little better than he did last year um, because the Bucks are really going to need him to if they lose a weapon like Sean Murphy Bunning. Sorry I went rambling on for a little bit, but I, I think you're good. I'm, I'm incredibly intrigued by this defensive backfield, and yeah. I think they've got incredible playmakers. So yeah, it's I really mean, exciting well, for me to watch. You know, and also, you got the uh, you got the shout-out from Mike Edwards on Twitter today. Uh, yeah, the you, quote tweet. <laughs> searching his name on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's, Taylor uh, tweeted the video of his one-handed interception, and you actually you slowed it down as he was making the catch. Uh, and, yeah, Edwards retweeted it, so it was pretty cool to see. But, yeah, I thought it was big for him to get that. Um, you know, he had that sack last year on Taysom Hill, but that was pretty much the only impact play that's memorable from him last year. Uh, so it was very nice to get that. I think it could be a confidence booster. And like you said, especially if Murphy Bunding has to miss any time, you know, you know, I, th- I think him having that confidence back there I think it is better. I do like the idea of Antoine Winfield being closer to the line of scrimmage, being able to blitz a little bit more because he's been so effective at it. And like I said, they're going up against another offensive line that's not great. So another uh, a rookie quarterback here that while he's talented, Justin Herbert, sixth overall pick, he still he hasn't seen everything that the NFL defenses have to offer. So yeah, 
definitely gonna gonna see i think a lot more blitzes i think winfield could be a part of it so very excited to see where this defense goes uh rhett finally you're, you're trying to, to take the stage <laughs> no you're all good man i just wanted to kind of put a bow on things and say they're definitely going to be doing a patch-up job back there but seeing how versatile these guys are talking about winfield in particular i think they will do a serviceable job at that until we get sean murphy back there and everybody is much more comfortable but with that being said ladies and gentlemen that's just about going to do it for this episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. I want to say thank you to our special guest, Mr. Taylor Jenkins of Pewter Report. Taylor, how can the people find you and your awesome content? Yeah, absolutely. Check us out as a uh, as a team on Pewter, at Pewter Report on Twitter. Check us out at pewterreport.com. That's me. That's Scott, Mark, John, Matt. I mean, working really hard this season. It's a lot more fun to cover a winning team. So it's been nice to see them start out 2-0. You can follow me personally on Twitter, at T Jenkins Tampa. And I just wanted to thank you guys again so much for having me on. Love coming on and talking football, especially after a win when there's good things to talk about, which hasn't necessarily always been the case the last few years. So I appreciate <laughs> Absolutely, it, Absolutely, man. Quite the pleasure to have you on. Thanks for jumping on with us. And ladies and gentlemen, make sure you follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. It's basically the number one place to get any updates on the show and, of course, any Buccaneer news as it happens as well. You can follow myself on social media, Instagram, and Twitter. Both of those are Redicus. If you follow me, I promise I'll follow you back. And you can also find my co-host on social media. Instagram is Bucks underscore daily. And you can find him on Twitter at Evan NFL yelling about some Philly sports that, uh, oh man, just, it's been a bad year for Philly sports. But meanwhile, Florida is really bringing it up, man. Look, okay. Not talking about Philly sports, but I'm going to give a shout out here. Uh, good luck to the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight. Uh, hope they are able to, to clinch the, the Stanley Cup. If it's not my Flyers, I hope it to be the Lightning. So, um, yeah, good luck to those guys. Hope they are able to, to clinch it. Uh, I don't want to go to a Game 7. Uh, too unpredictable there. Uh, but, uh, Makes you know. two of us. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, good luck to them. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully there can finally be a, a championship in, in Tampa for the first time since last time there was a championship was when the Lightning won it, correct? Yeah, yeah four. four. Yeah. Went no eight up? with the Rays, but what about uh, yeah, what well, about yeah, the Phillies, baby? What about the? Uh, I don't know if people count them, forgotten. but what about the Arena Bulls? <laughs> the Storm were pretty unstoppable for a while. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah that's but true. Then, I think they had five well, or six rings. Yeah, then the the well, the Storm last time I think in the Arena Bowl was against the Philadelphia Soul, and they lost. So oh man, Philadelphia gets another point. That's rough. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will talk to you Thursday for our game preview episode, shaping up that game against the Chargers. I am Rhett Matthews, signing off for my co-host Evan Wanish and our special guest Taylor Jenkins. Thanks for listening to our show. Go Bucks! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.